0: reading this evening will be from the Book of Colossians in Chapter Three, and verses one through four. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for another opportunity where we are able to spend time and worship unto God. And invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter. That is where we will begin here in just a moment. When you think about marriage, <clears throat> marriage is an institution which God has ordained in which He is blessed, in which He is honored. In Hebrews chapter 13, and verse 4, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The idea of marriage and the institution of marriage goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation in the book of Genesis in the second chapter. In Genesis chapter 2, And in verse 24, where Moses, the author, writes, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You have this relationship between a man and his wife, a husband and wife, that have come together in one flesh, a one flesh relationship where they share intimacy and they share their life together, where they leave and forsake family and they establish themselves as a new family. The way in the process in which that might occur has changed over time. In ancient times families would often arrange marriages between a young man and a young woman and you would have a betrothal where it's a custom where a man and a woman would commit to become married at a future time this also includes when the parents of each arranged the couple and planned for them to be wed that Betrothal, we don't have much of that. We don't have much in arranged marriages anymore, but maybe the older I get, the more comfortable I would feel with going back to such an arrangement. <laughs> but then you would have courtship. Sometimes you might watch old movies and they would talk about how a guy is going to court a girl. And courtship is a term used when a man seeks to gain the attention and favor of a woman with the in- ultimate intent. Of engagement and marriage. And from a book on these kinds of things, marriage puts, or courtship puts a strong emphasis on taking the time to see whether there are multiple areas of common ground. For example, the same moral values, the same system of ethics, or the same spiritual foundation. Dating, though, is what we're going to consider because. Tonight, because that's the most common and most prevalent form of, uh, of process to become married. Dating is a relationship between a male and female who participate in prearranged social activities, dating another person. Means setting aside time for social interaction with a member of the opposite sex, and it provides the opportunity to learn how to communicate with the opposite sex. It helps uh, give opportunity to define what traits you desire in a future mate. It also gives you the opportunity to come into contact with potential marriage partners and to grow socially, emotionally, and spiritually. Dating is a relatively modern idea, though, and while customs may change regarding how people might eventually become married, there are biblical principles that I think will always remain the same, and that we need to consider some of those tonight. That is the object of our study this evening, we want to ask some questions about what we need to think about before we begin dating. If you are of an age or in a situation where you might begin to date or think about dating, you seriously need to ask yourself and evaluate some of these things this evening. If you're married, then I hope that you can echo many of the sentiments that are found within this lesson and help teach your children these principles Or help encourage young men and young women who might be of a dating kind of age that they might think about some of these things in a very serious kind of way. And what I want to point out in the questions that we're going to look at, we're going to look at six different questions that you need to ask yourself before you begin to date. And what all of these questions have in common, it's nothing about the person you might date they are all questions about you and that you need to think about before you begin dating and if you're unwilling to investigate and look at your life and look at yourself in the mirror before you begin to date then I can say at the outset of this Sermon. you are not ready to date. You have to be willing to look at yourself and your life. And you have to be willing to be honest with yourself in the investigation of these questions. And so tonight, the first question that we're going to begin with is the question, am I living for God? Many young people think they are ready to begin dating, so they start considering whom they might date. They think a young girl is attractive, a young boy thinks a young girl is unattractive, or a young girl thinks a young guy is handsome and wants to begin talking to them. And they begin looking at all these other things that would have a draw in why they might want to date. And yet, they failed to consider the most important relationship that is already or should already be present in their life, their relationship with the Lord. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, in Matthew chapter six, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets forth this principle in life as he looks at life and he encourages us not to worry, which many people do worry about dating and who it is they might date or those kinds of things what you have to ask yourself is what jesus said in matthew chapter six and verse 33 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you are you seeking first the kingdom of god and his righteousness is that what is taking first priority in your life no matter what age you are we need to listen to this no matter what status you are if you're married or single or Uh, or divorced, whatever it is, you have to ask yourself, are you living for the Lord? Is He number one in your life? And if you are not already seeking God first, then do you think adding another important relationship into your life is going to fix that? If you are unwilling to fix that, most likely not. Many people begin dating too early their entire life and their existence begins to be absorbed in the life of, their, of the person that they are dating and their life, their friends, their family, their hobbies, their interests, and they kind of lose their self-identity. And yet the only kind of person, the only person that you are supposed to have that kind of intimate relationship with is God. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, which we heard in our reading this evening, in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That your life becomes absorbed in God. And if your life is not absorbed in God and your relationship with Him, if you're not living for the Lord, then dating is not going to help you. It most likely will harm you. And then this becomes a very critical issue if you are dating someone who is not a Christian. If you're dating someone who is not in the same agreement with you on matters of faith and matters of what you believe to be true about what the Bible teaches, then if you you allow your life to become absorbed in the life of a non-Christian, then guess what morals you're going to accept? Guess what actions and behaviors you're going to accept? Things that are not Always appropriate for a child of God. Before you're ready today, you must make sure your relationship with the Lord is fixed and that you have given your heart first to Him. Because in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus, He says that our heart and our love must first be given to God. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Your entire life, the purpose of your living, it's not for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend. It's for the Lord. That's the first question that you need to answer before you begin to date. A second question that you need to ask yourself is am I mature enough to date and this one may be a little bit harder for you to evaluate but it is in many ways related to the first because if you're not living for the Lord then you are probably not mature enough to begin dating but in the book of Judges we are introduced to Samson And Samson makes many blunders in his relationships with women. But I think you see his immaturity rise to the top in Judges chapter 14 at the very beginning, really, of his life as a judge for the Lord. In Judges chapter 14 and in verse 2, he had seen one of the daughters of Timnah of the Philistines, and he came back and told his father and mother, he says in verse 2, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. He comes in, he just makes a demand of his parents. That shows us a a lot of immaturity. But then he goes on in verse 3, Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Here are his parents. They are trying to offer some reasonable advice. And you might see there in verse 3, But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. And he rejects the reasonable advice from his parents. And he just then says, it's all about the looks, isn't it? Shows a lot of immaturity. And if you are unwilling to listen to the advice of your parents, if you're unwilling to look beyond the skin level of beauty, then you're probably not mature enough to begin dating. Dating is part of growing up, it is in preparation for marriage, and you don't need to fool yourself on that. Don't just say that you're just going to date just for the fun of it, because dating is preparation for marriage, and we'll have some more to say about that in a moment. You need to ask yourself some questions before you begin to date anyone. How will this help or hurt my relationship with God if I were to date this person? That's an inventory list that you need to ask yourself that question. Or another question, how might this influence other people if I were to begin dating this person? How could that influence me and her Or someone else? How does this impact my reputation? Will this lead myself or someone else into sin? If you cannot dwell upon some of those questions and evaluate those kinds of questions honestly, you're not ready to date. Another very real question that takes a lot of maturity to ask yourself is this is if Christ is the most important person in your life, and you are dating someone who could care less about spiritual matters, why would you entertain entering a lifelong commitment to an intimate relationship with him or her? That might mean that you end a lot of relationships before they really mature and develop and that's why you have to ask yourself are you mature are you mature enough to date because if you cannot answer some of these questions right now or before you begin to date someone Dating and certainly marriage, it's going to take even more maturity than that to answer some of these questions. So ask yourself, are you mature enough? A third question that you need to ask yourself is, do I respect God's institution of marriage? As we began in our study, marriage is... An institution that God has ordained, that God has honored, and He has blessed. Marriage is not just a cultural thing that we have created. It's not a political relationship either. It's not instituted by the government. While the government might recognize it, God is the one who has ordained it. It is God who gets to regulate it. Marriage is an institution that is ordained by God and as such God has regulated the marriage relationship with his laws. Marriage is between a male and a female in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19 and in verse 4 what you see is Jesus as he appeals going back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 In Matthew chapter 19 and in verse 4, as he had been approached by the Pharisees and asked about divorce, he begins to talk about marriage. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, and he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We live in a day and an age where homosexuality is accepted in a lot of ways, at least from a legal standpoint and no matter what the United States government might choose to recognize as a marriage relationship it does not mean that God has instituted that as a marriage relationship. And if we're going to begin to date then we have to appreciate and understand and respect what God's word says that marriage is between a male and a female. But furthermore, it is a lifelong relationship. As he says in verse 5, The reason, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That divorce is not even something that should be on the table for discussion that's how serious this is Jesus does provide one exception for divorce that is in cases of sexual immorality or fornication that's the only exception for which Jesus allows and then you have to just appreciate the response the honesty of those who are there Hearing what Jesus said in verse 10, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. They understood the seriousness of this, didn't they? They understood the radical nature of what Jesus was saying, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that marriage is for life. It's not supposed to be ended through divorce. And if, it is, if this is true, then they're saying it's better not to marry. And Jesus then says in verse 11, But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. He's saying not everyone's going to like this. Not everyone is going to agree with this. And so if you do not respect God's institution of marriage and what God has said and how God has regulated the marriage relationship, if you don't have any regard for that, if you don't respect it in any way, you're probably not mature enough to date. If you do not respect the marriage relationship that God has ordained, you are not ready to date because you will end up marrying That person that you date. And it means that you are going to have probably made some compromises along the way. Which leads us to our fourth question. That we have to ask ourselves. Am I guarding my holiness? Am I guarding my holiness? This may deal more with, especially once you do begin dating, but it is something that you need to be thinking about before you date. In the book of Romans, in the 14th chapter, a verse that we looked at a couple of times this morning in our study, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, when he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust." if we are going to make no provision for the flesh then we need to be able to set some boundaries don't we we need to set some boundaries and you don't do that in the middle of a date you don't do that after you've already started going out and and socializing and doing things. Those boundaries have to be determined before you even begin contemplating dating. Those boundaries have to be thought about before you go out the door with a date. One author said how easy to be deceived in dating to be misled by looks propelled by insecurity or lured by lust and end up with a used body a guilty conscience and a broken heart to prevent hurtful relationships plan your personal guidelines before you begin dating have your convictions in place ahead of time will put you will help you uphold them even in the face of shifting emotions. That's why we have to be able to speak clearly about our convictions regarding our morality. We have to be able to articulate what it is we believe about our personal holiness What is acceptable, what is unacceptable behavior. We have to be able to communicate that. In First Corinthians chapter six, in First Corinthians chapter six and in verse eighteen, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body." You don't have the right to just do whatever it is that you want to do with your body. That may be a radical statement for many people in our culture. (laughs) But your behavior and your conduct and what you do with your body, especially in regards to sexuality, you're not free to do whatever you want. You are not your own. God has purchased you. He has redeemed you, and you therefore must glorify Him in your body. He demands holy living, free from sexual immorality. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4, a passage which we looked at just very briefly this morning, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 3, where the Apostle Paul writes here to the church at Thessalonica, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And the idea of vessel is your body there. That you hold your body in sanctification and honor. You treat your body honorably not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. He calls on us to individually maintain our holiness, our sanctification. And then He also calls on us to respect the holiness and sanctification of other people. So if you are in a dating kind of relationship, then both parties need to respect one another in each other's bodies. You have to be able to communicate your convictions regarding your morality. You have to communicate your convictions regarding marriage. And I think we also need to understand sexual attraction if we're going to be armed for sexual temptation. I thought this graphic was rather helpful in helping us understand some of These things about sexual attraction that it begins with lust and then it moves on to attraction and then it moves into attachment. We'll dive a little bit further into this and here as lust in this idea is the desire for sexual gratification. And young people, I want to just be honest with you, there is nothing wrong with those desires. God created you that way. There's nothing wrong about it. There's nothing wrong with lust in and of itself, because God created sex and He created it to be enjoyable. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying. The primary hormones involved in that is testosterone and estrogen. And that is, lust is the most base kind of desire for sexual gratification. But then attraction is what we feel when we feel good, when we feel in love. Attraction is felt when the brain rewards our feelings of good and love. Which partly explains why the first few weeks or months of a relationship can be so exhilarating And even all-consuming. And the primary hormone here is dopamine. And you probably have heard a little bit about dopamine. It's something that is brought up in the news a lot, sometimes in, in articles and in journals, especially in dealing with drug addictions or any kind of addiction, really. Because dopamine is that hormone that tells you, oh, this is good and I like it. And so I want more of it. And, uh, and you want more of it, and you want more of it, and you want more and more and more and more, and you want that hit. And that's why you have to recognize that dopamine, which runs the reward pathways in our brain, is great in moderation or in moderate doses. It helps us enjoy food. Exciting events in relationships. However, we can push the dopamine pathway too far when we become addicted to food or drugs. Similarly, too much dopamine in a relationship can underlie unhealthy emotional dependence on our partners. As I mentioned, whenever your life becomes so absorbed in someone else's that you kind of lose your own self and your own identity, and you you've like lost all contact with your own friends and you've only accepted the friends of the person whom you're dating that's when it's getting going too far, that dopamine effect it's going too far. Too much dopamine is a problem. And it's the primary hormone driver that we feel in addictions. You want it, you want that hit and that is the, the attraction that we might feel towards someone. So there's the lust and then there's the attraction. But then there is attachment. And while lust and attraction are usually thought of in sexual ways, attachment can be viewed in a wide variety of ways. You have friendships that you are attached to. You have the parent-child relationship where there's attachment. And the primary hormones there, the cuddle hormone or the bonding hormone, uh, oxytocin or vasopressin, thinking of someone constantly, those are the hormones at work there. And what all these hormones and things that we might talk about, we like to talk about teenagers and their raging hormones, all these things are coming out and they are developing at those ages. And sexual arousal, as we see. Sexual arousal, but not necessarily attachment, not that strong bond, but that lust and attraction level. It appears to turn off regions in our brain that regulate critical thinking, self-awareness, and rational behavior, including parts of the prefrontal cortex. In short, love makes us dumb. (laughs) I like what that author said. Have you ever done something when you were in love that you later regretted? Maybe not. I'd ask a certain star-crossed Shakespearean couple, but it's a little late for them. The point being that whenever you say, oh, I'm so in love with this guy or I'm so in love with this girl, when you are dating someone and you feel so good and you're so wrapped up in that person, you're probably not making the best judgments or you're probably not in the best situation to see it as fairly as other people might be able to see it. It doesn't mean it's a bad situation. That just means, as we'll talk about in a little bit, you need to be willing to listen to others. But I think if we can understand this process and the hormones that are at work and what is going on here, then we certainly need to draw those boundary lines. We need to be willing to guard and protect our holiness. We need to avoid deep romantic kissing. We need to avoid wandering hands. As one person said, don't touch a part on your date's body that you yourself don't have. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. We need to avoid time alone in a house, especially behind closed doors. We need to make sure that we have a plan in place to guard our holiness and our heart and our lives before we begin to date and make ourselves vulnerable to fall in love that means parents you need to start having some important conversations with your children now sooner rather than later even if you say well my kids aren't allowed to date yet they're not ready they might not be you're right But go ahead and be developing their minds now so that when they are ready, they are equipped and prepared. Also, parents, try not to expose your kids to things they don't need to see, and things that they aren't ready for. You get, to play, you get to be the trump card on things. Be on guard because our society is a highly sexualized one. You will probably be faced with conversations at an age that you, as a parent, feel is too young for your child and it might even be a little bit inappropriate but if they are seeing it on television or on YouTube or in movies on Netflix if it's going around on TikTok if they hear certain words and see certain things and hear about certain activities you would be the one, you would rather be the one driving the conversation And you would be the one, rather be that person who is pointing them and steering them in the right direction. You don't want society to be doing that. Begin having some of those conversations now. Our fifth question that we need to consider before we might begin dating is, am I looking for someone with godly character? Am I looking for someone with godly character? We may look for someone who is outwardly beautiful, like Samson. Or sometimes I've heard many Christians say you need to find a Christian to marry. And while in many ways I think that is an appropriate sentiment, that's not the only thing that we need to think about. We don't need to only measure if, well, okay, you can date this person because they've been baptized. We need to look beyond the externals. We need to look at someone's heart. Because outward beauty is not the only measure that you should consider while dating. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I love this passage in Peter as he is describing the beautiful woman in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 3. He says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. That's what God is looking at. But don't let outward beauty be the only thing that you look at. Don't even ask yourself, well, okay, they've been baptized, so they're a Christian. Yeah, I've known a lot of people who are baptized, and yet they live a very hypocritical life. A very ungodly life. I know people who've been baptized that are just simply going through the motions. They don't genuinely believe what they are doing is, is the only way, or that they are uh, making concessions in their life and what they think. And they've made compromises. You need to ask yourself more than just that. Is this someone with godly character? Is this someone who wants to do what is right? And do they have a heart that is genuine and sincere? In Psalm 1, the opening psalm of the book of Psalms, Some questions that you might ask yourself about someone that you're considering dating. Is this someone who delights in the law of the Lord? Is this someone who loves God's Word? Is this someone who loves the Bible and reads their Bible and meditates on it? Are they being constantly nourished and fed in God's Word? Do they respect God's authority And do they respect God's laws about marriage and other things? Is this someone who stays away from the wicked and wicked activities? Does this person have a reputation for keeping commitments? Are they faithful in what they say? It might be something that you don't think about as important when you are dating. But Especially after you're married, that becomes very important. Some other questions you might think and consider Does this person have a positive outlook on life? Is this someone who is stable emotionally and spiritually? Or are they controlling and overly jealous? Are they respectful of authority? Do they respect you, your conscience? and your convictions. All of these things go back to character, don't they? They go back to the kind of person that you need to be looking for in who you might date. Then our final question that we need to ask ourselves Am I listening to people who love God and love me? In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 1 Children, obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Listen to your parents. You're at an age young man, young woman, teenage years and you are thinking about dating or young, going into college and you're thinking about dating listen to your parents honor your father and your mother listen to them they will have the best advice that you could receive so that it may be well with you. Respect them. If you are unwilling to listen to them, that reveals some immaturity. Like Samson, right? It reveals immaturity that you're not ready. Wisdom listens to godly parents. Wisdom also will consider Faithful and mature friends and their advice—not just your buddies who say, "Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead, that's okay," but faithful Christians, mature Christians, can't help but think of the folly of Rehoboam in First Kings chapter twelve, whenever he chose to listen to the advice. Of his foolish friends. That did not end well. It ended in the kingdom being divided. He rejected the wisdom of the elders. Don't do that. Wisdom receives God's instruction. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 4, in Proverbs chapter 4, and in verse 20. The words of Solomon to his son, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health, to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Very beautiful way of saying, Look at God's Word. Follow it. Be committed to it. Don't turn away from it. You need to listen to those who love you. You need to listen to those who love God and His Word. That's what wisdom demands. Listen to people who love the Lord and who love you. They want to see what is best. For you. They want to see you avoid making mistakes in life that you might later regret. Dating may be something that you want to begin to do because you feel an attraction towards someone. But before you are ready to date, you must first do an inventory of yourself. And ask yourself, are you truly ready to begin dating? Don't rush into it. I think it's that Elvis song, Fools Rush In, right? Wait on God's timing. Because your worth and your value and your personal holiness are worth the time and consideration. And if you are mature and listen to the voices of those who are concerned for you and love you and are committed to holiness, then you might be ready to start dating. Talk with your parents about dating and listen to their guidance and wisdom because they will be able to help you. I appreciate your good attention this evening. I know this lesson hasn't been designed to teach someone what they must do to become a Christian. But we would be remiss if we did not give you that opportunity, if you are here this evening and you have never rendered obedience to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, will you not come to Christ, be raised up with Christ, so that your life might be hidden with Christ in God, so that you can begin to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, giving your heart completely in your life In total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave His life for you. And He's willing to save you from your sins. If we can help you this evening, if you need to render obedience to the Gospel through baptism, the water is ready, we're here to help you. and We want to encourage you to make your life right with the Lord. And if you are here this evening, but you've not been living faithfully, you've turned away from the path of holiness and you've strayed, we want to encourage you to come back. We're here to help you and pray for you and encourage you in whatever way we can. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?